All right, 7 o'clock straight up. You are listening to Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM and HD1, KMUE Eureka, 88.1 FM and HD1, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, on the web, KMUD.org, and in Shelter Cove, we're at 99.5 on FM Translator, K258BQ. Welcome to this month's uh, August 19th, 2022 edition of Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows before, you've just tuned in, it's a once a month radio show, uh, third Friday of each month from 7 till 8 p.m. It is a live show, and we do open up the um, telephone lines from 7.30 to 8 o'clock, for listeners to call in uh, with any questions about the show. Uh, So from 7.30 on, we'll be opening up the lines. And the number to call is 707-923-3911. Once again, from 7.30 until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, the number to call is 707-923-3911. Uh, again, for people who perhaps have never listened to the show or have just tuned in, uh, it's a once-a-month radio show where we are joined uh, with the expert scientific viewpoint, not opinion, but scientific viewpoint, uh, of Dr. Raymond Peake, who I think has become uh, pretty worldwide known. Uh, I know people in Europe and Scandinavia um, have called in in the past, and people from across the states have called in. Uh, we've had people from down under and we've had people from uh, South America even uh, calling in. So uh, I appreciate all those people that do tune into the show either uh, live or who listen to it on the archives. And the KMUD archives are available for about two months post-production. So uh, from now until about October, uh, you can go to kmud.org, uh, go to the audio archives, uh, select the Friday Night Talk drop-down, uh, and go to the third Friday of the month to download uh, the show that's been recorded on that day. Uh, and also, incidentally, we have on our website, westernbotanicalmedicine.com, uh, a exor- fairly exhaustive list from 2007 uh, through to about 2020. But uh, I still have uh, a good number of shows to put on there. It still hasn't been done, so excuse me for that. Uh, so once again, very pleased to uh, welcome Dr. Pete to the show, who I think has uh, somewhat uh, recovered from uh, some voice hoarseness due to the wildfires up in Oregon up there. So I know he was uh, uh, a little bit, um, a little bit croaky earlier on today. How are you doing, Dr. Pete? Yeah, I have comes and goes. I probably should clarify what I mean by scientific viewpoint. Uh, I, I, I'm not like Fauci. Uh, I, I don't have the scientific uh, viewpoint, but uh, I think of the scientific viewpoint as a, a critical one, always thinking about uh, the evidence and, and what you're really uh, implying. Uh, so it, it's a, a matter of criticism and thinking. Yeah. Well, I know you've always, you're always able to back up what you say with uh, either 
uh, articles or reference article journals or uh, other information that is uh, bona fide published information uh, and um, very often uh, you'll point to various authors or publications that support uh, what, you, what it is you're describing. So perhaps I think just initially as we always do uh, just in case anybody listening doesn't know you could you just give you an outline of your academic and professional background before we start the show? Uh, yeah, I studied the humanities uh, first through a uh, master's degree uh, and then uh, went back in 1968 to the University of Oregon uh, for a Ph.D. in uh, biology, basically uh, physiological uh, chemistry, uh, specifically the, uh, the uh, metabolic changes, uh, uh, physiological changes that happen in the reproductive system in aging. Uh, and uh, so that's, uh, there was more or less a chapter of the dissertation uh, that I uh, concentrated on the uh, what at that time was still sometimes called metaplasm mm. or lipofuscin uh, as a, a basic cause of aging. Okay, um, so the engineers just uh, asked me uh, to ask you if you could speak up a little. I can hear you quite well through my headset, but I'm not too sure the engineer can or if the levels are fairly low on the desk. So, yeah, if if you can, um, if you're speaking on the phone, if you could just get as close to it as you can. Um, so, Dr. Pete, I think what I wanted to um, uh, expand uh, with you is um, your your work and your... Uh, kind of discourse on Lipofushkin. I know we've mentioned it in the past and we definitely mentioned it in relation uh, to polyunsaturated fatty acids which definitely have, uh, I think that the awareness from the public has exploded definitely in the last 18 months uh, with publications coming out saying that they're not safe and that they are dangerous and that the whole thinking of the last three decades was quite erroneous and has actually resulted in quite a lot of uh, pathology, uh, not just obesity and diabetes and other, you know, metabolic disorders, but all sorts of other um, degenerative uh, conditions. So, can I, can I guess I just start by uh, going over some basics with you uh, for these uh, so-called essential uh, fatty acids? Uh, so, if you look at, if you look online, it seems to imply that they are only available from the diet. Is that correct? Uh, no, uh, uh, some some very simple experiments make that uh, really clear, but uh, the, uh, uh, that amount of clarity in 80 years has hardly penetrated uh, the beliefs about uh, the fats, because industry has found a motive in claiming that they are essential, uh, where the, the evidence is uh, of a, uh, an extremely vague inferential uh, type. But the evidence against it is as clear as, uh, for example, you can grow human cells in culture, uh, like for making specific pro proteins extracted from them. Uh, and if you're growing uh, huge masses of cells in culture, uh, you know exactly what they're being fed, mm -hmm. and you can feed them on a diet, excluding, absolutely excluding uh, fatty acids, especially the uh, unsaturated fatty acids. So you know they're multiplying enormously on a diet of no environmental uh, unsaturated fats. So, uh, obviously, uh, any unsaturated fat uh, that they contain uh, is something that they have made themselves so that they can't be essential. Uh, and the um, <clears throat> basic recognized evidence that we aren't getting environmental uh, linoleic or arachidonic acid uh, and are becoming deficient in these so-called essential fats is 
to find that we are making something called mead acid, mm-hmm. which is a, a, an omega minus nine series of polyunsaturated fats. And having a long saturated tail, uh, just the opposite of fish oil, mm-hmm. uh, the N-3 has unsaturated uh, groups uh, within three carbons of the tip. Uh, and the type we make ourselves, uh, the mead acids, uh, are uh, the saturated fats extend uh, uh, down to within only nine carbons at the end, and that makes them uh, uh, relatively uh, resistant to external uh, contact with oxygen. So that's that's kind of, I think that's pretty important, um, what you've just mentioned about the um, erroneous doctrine of being essential, and that they are uh, able to be manufactured, uh, and that will bring out way more questions about the whole um, fish oil industry and pumping the narrative with the anti-inflammatory dogma or or doctrine uh, of the essential fatty acids. Uh, I think what I just want to quickly ask you, haven't you said in the past that the placenta doesn't allow these fats to cross? Is that... Oh, yeah, it's a very, very good filter. Right. Uh, And uh, (laughs) even when the mother is... is, uh, eating uh, uh, fish and grains and uh, unsaturated fats, the general recognition is that at birth, uh, uh, babies uh, uh, demonstrate, almost always they demonstrate, making some of the anti-inflammatory natural mead acid, uh, showing that they uh, were assimilating very, very little of the a proof of from the environment, and so defining the newborn baby as almost always essential fatty acid deficient. The formula companies argue that they need to add basically fish oil extract to baby formula to make up for the. Uh, the fact that uh, the newborn brain shows evidence of deficiency of exactly those fats. Mm. Uh, and so they do add it uh, to baby formula, uh, and uh, within a few days uh, of reaching the uh, grocery store, uh, these fats are degrading mm. and becoming oxidized and toxic. Mm. Uh, and then after about a month in the store, uh, they uh, degrade even more, so you uh, find less and less of the uh, uh, oxidized uh, fish oil products. Uh, but uh, the, the evidence is that uh, what you're doing is feeding your baby uh, rancid fish oil products, which are uh, toxic in many ways. Now, haven't you also said that... Um They've done plenty of experiments to support the fact that babies that are fed on these formulas because of these EPAs and other uh, fatty acids that are in the formula, they can show that they have decreased uh, cognition, decreased awareness. And I I think we've mentioned this in the past uh, to the um, comparison of the kind of quote-unquote fussy baby, not one that's got griping colic, but is fussy and active and awake and just, uh, you know, behaving like a normal baby. Uh, Yeah, those studies were done uh, over the last uh, 70 or 80 years in uh, rats and dogs and other animals, Mm -hmm. showing that in proportion to the amount of FUFA in the diet, uh, their brains are reduced in size and in learning ability uh, after they're born. Uh, So the uh, deficient animals uh, without the PUFA in their brains uh, have bigger brains, uh, are higher metabolizers all over, uh, and uh, uh, learn much faster. Uh, the, the difference 
in, in learning uh, in the 70s. Uh, some studies said it was like like the average uh, rodent uh, deficient in PUFA uh, having uh, something like a 140 uh, IQ uh, upper uh, few, few percent of, of brain learning ability compared compared to his EPA drugged siblings uh, yeah <laughs> and if you look at the aging brain right from birth uh, all the animals that have been studied uh, the amount of PUFA in the brain does steadily increase uh, from the uh, so-called deficient state at birth up until uh, a heavy overload state in old age and dementia, a steady increase in proof of concentration bound uh, interfering with cholesterol mm -hmm. synthesis. Uh, but uh, as the proof of content of tissue increases, uh, the heat production and metabolic energy of the whole animal uh, uh, decreases in proportion. Right. Uh, so the baby has an extremely high overall oxygen consumption and metabolic rate mm -hmm. supporting uh, that fantastic rate of learning right. uh, that is normal for a newborn. Well, excellent. So, an interesting okay. side note. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, an interesting side note is... I'm not someone who suffered from heartburn, but when I was pregnant, all three times, if I ate any PUFA-rich animal fat, like a duck fat or a chicken fat or a pork fat, even just the tiniest little bit because I was avoiding that because I knew those contained PUFA, because I wasn't eating any vegetable oils that contained PUFA, but that was the only time I would get heartburn is when I ate those fats or even just a little bit of those fats. So it was very easy for me to um, see why I shouldn't be eating any kind of PUFA fats when I was pregnant because I immediately got heartburn. Okay, so I think what we've outlined here, you're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. Kami Digarbable, 91.1 FM. Uh, and from now, or 7.30 rather, until the end of the show, you can call in with any questions uh, related to this month's subject of Lipofushkin, uh, Dr. Raymond Pete joining us live um, I think what I want to say right off the bat here is, first of all, um, that, gosh, the essential fatty acid myth uh, has just been, again, uh, destroyed. And the whole, gosh, I mean, the word collusion gets banded around so much, especially during this cold, cold COVID uh, debacle. Um, but the word collusion uh, in terms of the industries that are multi-billion dollar industries, and the fish oil industry is one of those massive uh, conglomerates worldwide pushing this stuff and all the academia pumping out the uh, supporting evidence as it were with the you know studies showing the anti-inflammatory effect for your psoriasis or uh, anti-inflammatory effect for your asthma uh, of these so-called essential fatty acids which are not essential and the very fact that and I, I, I don't have any problem bringing this out, but at the end of the day, we're divine creatures and God made us in his image and the baby that is born in the mother's womb, the feeding mechanism selectively blocks the transport of these products. Now, why is that? Um, I think you got your answer right there. So, uh, interesting. So let's carry on. Dr. Pete, the fact, the fact that these... Um, N minus three and N minus sixes are not essential, uh, but they are found uh, in many different foods. Um, and I know you've always said nuts and seeds are number well, the fish oil is kind of number one, the most reactive or the most rapidly oxidizable um, poofer. But nuts and seeds that we shouldn't be eating nuts and seeds because. Um, uh, maybe not so bad in their raw state if they're sprouted, for example, but when they make oil uh, from nuts and seeds, they never would have found that volume of oil within that nut or that seed to actually use it. So when they come up with canola oil, because corn does have a pretty high component of N-3 and 6 oils, the liquid oils that we are subjected to and have been for 30, 40, 50 years... Uh, as a result of this huge industry, both number one, uh, 
denying the fact that these essential fatty acids are essential because they're not we can actually live without them and produce them ourselves spontaneously but that the foods that have these are beneficial for us and we need to buy their products especially the liquid oils that have been used and fish oil that's become a multi-billion dollar market um the, the, the nuts and seeds that produce the uh, oils uh, and the, the, the snakes and uh, frogs and, and fish uh, that use them uh, habitually and without any special problem, uh, they don't think of themselves as food, uh, but uh, those oils are appropriate for manufacturing uh, their own energy stores uh, or to be uh, obtained from their food because they live at a, a fairly low uh, temperature, room temperature uh, and below, for example. Uh, and animal fats uh, at room temperature tend to solidify. Right. Uh, and a, a snake with solidified fat uh, just doesn't work very well. Uh, the same with the, with the fish. Uh, if you're going to be have flexible uh, active tissues, uh, you, you need to have fats uh, that are uh, liquid at body temperature. Uh, and so uh, these f- fats, which are uh, appropriate for cold animals, if you put these fats into a very hot animal, uh, that's when they're extremely unstable, high, high temperature. Uh, high temperature plus the, uh, the the fact that they are uh, designed to, to be uh, uh, very sensitive to heat so that they're uh, flexible uh, at room temperature. Uh, that means that uh, uh, you shouldn't eat them if you're going to live at, at 98 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Okay, so go ahead, sir. So what you're saying is that it's okay for the frogs and the snakes and the fish to eat these omega-6 and omega-3 oils because they're, they're cold-blooded and they don't, they're not going to heat those fats up to a high temperature and oxidize them. Whereas we're, because we're, we should be around 98, 99 degrees Fahrenheit, we're going to rapidly oxidize those and turn them into free radicals. Is that what you're saying, Dr. Beat? Exactly. Uh, in some studies, they decided to uh, see how efficient as energy uh, sources uh, fish oil was for fish. Uh, naturally, it has to be liquid enough to function uh, at a cool temperature. But they added some animal fat, uh, more saturated fat, so it wasn't quite so uh, fish oil-like to... A salmon diet uh, and then put them through an endurance test uh, and the uh, salmon that were eating salmon fat didn't have the endurance that they would have if you uh, gave them a little more saturated fat. Okay, so yeah, you're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. KBD 91.1 FM uh, from 7.30 onwards. Uh, you're welcome to invited to call in. Number 707 923 So, Dr. P, I think the, uh, the, the focus and the thrust of the show being on Lipofushkin um, and its danger, its build-up, um, how it's virtually impossible to um, detox from it or remove it, gets bound up in neurons and is very much a ageing uh, causative factor and also one that is, uh, I think, well... Um, well implicated in neurodegenerative conditions and I think we can look at a little later things like Parkinson, Alzheimer's disease uh, Parkinson's disease, dementia um, and those other neurovegetative disorders but um, given that that our diet is um, so broad and we have access to so many things and the health industry wants to point us towards the nuts and the seeds and the fish and uh, all of these things that are rich in these N minus three and N minus six oils. Um, I know you've always supported a saturated diet and um, using uh, minimal 
minimal starches too, but saturated or, or saturated fats uh, as a prime source. Um, in terms of your diet and the amount of foods that people do eat, uh, what do you do? You think there is an over or not just overconsumption, but do you think that they should be consumed at all? I think they should be avoided yeah. as far as possible. Yeah, avoided as far as possible. There you go. So, um, I think the uh, the basis of the lipofushkin. Would you would you outline um, your understanding of the process um, by which things like metal ions, as well as stresses, uh, exert their effect on these N minus three and N minus six oils in the presence of our body temperature? And, and how destructive these things are, and then we'll go down the get down the rabbit hole of um, you know decreased age and dementia and all the other neurovegetative disorders. Uh, starting in the 1930s, uh, uh, to to explain uh, why uh, uh, food got rancid, uh, uh, the uh, process of breakdown of fats and how it works. Uh, inside tissues uh, it was uh, studied in various ways in, including modeled systems uh, and uh, people learned to manufacture uh, something that looked and functioned uh, like lipofuscin uh, by uh, reacting uh, for example uh, copper and uh, 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 vitamin C uh, iron uh, and uh, uh, just about any kind of fat <coughs> uh, and uh, 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 various biological components including nucleic acids and uh, proteins and you can see that the uh, a free radical process is triggered by the copper or iron and reductants such as vitamin C uh, that uh, attracts the uh, uh, oily materials, especially if they're unsaturated, uh, and causes a spreading uh, catalytic oxidative <laughs> process that creates more free radicals. Uh, and so you can identify uh, various things that are pulled out of tissues depending on which tissue you start the process in. If it's the liver uh, and uh, you're under the influence of estrogen or alcohol, for example, uh, the liver is going to produce uh, <coughs> a lot, lots of a porphyrin uh, chemical used for making heme uh, in energy metabolism. Uh, and that porphyrin will spontaneously uh, f amplify the formation uh, of the uh, uh, lipofuscin. Uh, and so some ready-made molecules uh, are great amplifiers of the process. But uh, that depends on the organ uh, and the physiology of the organism at the moment it's happening. Uh, but it varies with uh, every organ and momentary conditions of the organ uh, and the uh, uh, the environmental <laughs> availability of uh, the various breakdown products. Uh, tissue injury of any sort uh, releases fragments of the damaged cell material and all of, all of that uh, fragmentary uh, uh, evidence of damage contributes to the formation uh, of the lipofuscin. And uh, at first, it, it can be only in a soluble form. Uh, it can uh, travel outside of cells, uh, in the, between the cells, through the connective tissue, through the bloodstream, uh, back in the cells uh, in, in different parts of the organism. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, some of it forms only as particles, 
uh, in lysosomes or, or mitochondria uh, or uh, any uh, particular part of the uh, cell might, might be where uh, uh, the majority of it starts. But it all depends on the situation, uh, the uh, conditions of that particular uh, tissue. So it, it, uh, it, even though it's a, a very comprehensive theory of sickness, uh, aging, uh, and the, the degenerative process, it, it is so infinitely varied uh, that the uh, ability to uh, believe that it's happening, it, it's, it has taken 80 years uh, to pass from a, a fairly vague idea of what aging is uh, to a recognition that it's a very powerful uh, way of explaining a disease degeneration and, and aging. Mm. Now, uh, did, you, did you say that lipofushkin can be soluble? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so it's not this insoluble material that is a complex of iron, um, protein, and, and sugar uh, uh, residues. Yeah, the smaller uh, particles are, are form soluble uh, uh, medium-sized molecules. So, so, for example, when we... T- um, okay, so let me just uh, back up. When it comes to... Because I... When I was looking at the lipofushkin and its main, uh, the main um, uh, areas that it's um, deposited in, um, it's essentially they, there's three categories, I think, with um, nerves, uh, cardiac muscle, uh, I think it may have also mentioned skeletal muscle, and then skin. And I, I, always, um, I always kind of relate lipofushkin with the age pigment that you see on you know, the hands because they're visible with older people, for example. Um, but you have said also that um, it's kind of separate separate question. I'm kind of digressing a little bit. That the lipofushkin can actually be present in bod- in somebody in pretty high and dangerous amounts without actually showing itself on the skin. But let me just first hold hold the thought with that um, to say that the lipofushkin itself. I, w- I thought it was always the kind of complex between, like I said, the kind of iron or copper or zinc or you know some ca- some cation and um, some kind of oxidized protein and then uh, sugars and that it was insoluble and it got laid down into the nervous tissue for example and because it was complex the way it was it was basically resistant to being broken down and and removed but you're you're saying that there is some lipofushkin at some point in time that is quite soluble and freely moving about is it able to be excreted at that point? Uh, Oh sure, yeah Yeah. Uh, some of it shows up in the urine Right Okay, so um, if that's the case, then <laughs> okay, I'm just trying to think about the excretory pathways and seeing. Uh, I was thinking about you know liver support and liver stimulants and things that would increase diuresis and Im- improve kidneys function and removal of waste and that kind of thing. But um, if that's the case, then during the day, uh, for example, if you're using things like bitters. Um, you know, in England, we just came back from being over there for a few few weeks, but bitters are very um, kind of European and English, and people use bitters uh, to stimulate bile and, and you know, emulsify fats and improve digestion. Um, is there any mileage uh, in, in supposing that these kind of bitters or uh, aperitifs could have a positive effect in removing soluble lipofushkin then before it gets converted or laid down into something that is less soluble and more permanent. Oh, I I think so. Uh, Accelerating your digestive processes in general uh, uh, are going to help. Right. I mean, not just using, for example, like you you always recommend cascara uh, as a uh, laxative to um, decrease the transit time. Um, but even even those agents that would Im- just improve liver function and uh, digestion and excretion in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this then: uh, what's the uh, what's the difference then between the um, lipofushkin that's found 
both in endothelial plaque as a result of, you know, an atheroma that they say someone's died from because of the cholesterol that's there, but we know that that cholesterol is actually a protective mechanism under which that initial insult is is, is visible in the forms of the lipofushkin on the endothelia. But how about also um, the uh, lipofushkin that's found uh, as these... Uh, Dewey bot these Lewy bodies that is uh, very prevalent amyloid plaque that's prevalent in neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's uh, or uh, Alzheimer's. How how have they become insoluble and basically cause the demise of that person in a neurovegetative way? Rather than I, just so aging? many things go into the composition. Uh, it depends on uh, the type of injury uh, and uh, exposure. Uh, the type of fat and the quantity that you're exposed to, uh, as well as uh, the, the natural factors uh, 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 such as the uh, 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 hormone products, mm -hmm. uh, there is such variation that uh, if it's going to be extremely uh, uh, fat-loving material, that means it's going to uh, stick in, in your nerve cells primarily. Uh, Huntington's disease uh, is very closely connected to certain types of, uh, of uh, proof of derived lipofuscin. Uh, each type of nerve uh, malfunction uh, associated with a particular protein like, like synuclein Mm -hmm. uh, each uh, variation of lipofuscin molecule is going to uh, affect which kind of nerve uh, it is affected in exactly what way. Interesting. Uh, so you can okay. trace its history, uh, and even uh, you can uh, work on unraveling the history uh, because if you uh, know that it's a a matter of a balance between how fast you're putting it in and how fast you can uh, remove it. Uh, the process of removal is very slow, but if you essentially stop the formation by uh, uh, stopping your excess intake of aluminum, iron, copper, uh, and so on, uh, and of of uh, uh, unsaturated fats and other irritants, uh, then you can uh, uh, reduce the formation of it almost to zero, at which point the slight attrition uh, by way of vitamin E uh, can gradually reduce the, the amount in the brain. Interesting. So do you think then uh, that um, fish oil, for example, would be a far more implicated... Uh, fatty acid in the production uh, of these lipofushkins over oh, flaxseed oil, say, or, or um, corn, or uh, uh, yeah, the, the type of molecule is extremely variable, uh, and uh, the some of the early studies with uh, feeding a lot of fish to pigs and horses and dogs and and mink in particular, uh, they identified something called uh, yellow fat disease mm. in which the animal's fat became a source of uh, dangerous inflammation. Let me, let me hold you there for a second, Dr. Peek. Uh, accumulated in a, in a form that created an intense degenerative inflammation throughout the fat system. Let me, let me hold you there for a second. We do have a, a caller. So once again, uh, you're listening to KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show at 8, the number to call is 707-923-3911. Once again, 707-923-3911. So let's take this caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Yes, I'm coming from uh, Garberville, California. My question is... Uh, as a general rule, I love the organic coconut milk, and I'm wondering what its benefits are, and I'm also wondering what the 
what you would recommend as another type of nut milk that are an excellent product. Okay, so uh, coconut milk, uh, Dr. P, I know you're not too into uh, nut milks per se. Um, what have you got to say about coconut milk? I, I, I'm not especially wild about it. Uh, studies in the Philippines have found that people who cook with it uh, frequently have a high incidence of breast cancer. Ouch. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure. Uh, but <laughs> what is actual content, sir? Basically, what I'm asking is uh, to drink the coconut milk without heating it, just using it as a general rule in a cool basis of putting fruit in it, that sort of thing. Uh, if it's just the actual water, if you puncture an unripe coconut and get the water out, but what they call the coconut milk or cream is a manufactured process uh, where they grind up uh, some of the solid material and, and suspend it in the water. Uh, and that I don't think is safe. Okay, the other question was the, the nut milks. What, what ones do you recommend? I, I, I don't think there's such a thing. Uh, they can make any emulsion uh, uh, that's white and liquid uh, and call it a milk, uh, uh, a grain milk or bean milk or uh, nut milk, but uh, uh, that that doesn't have any nutritional value uh, in a positive sense. Okay, the the third question was you were mentioning the, the linoleic acid, which is one of the most fabulous ones you can put in your body. And we do do always under under eat these under consume these uh, linoleic acids. What other lino, uh, What other related uh, acids would you highly recommend that we do consume? Uh, the coconut oil in itself has some real adaptogenic uh, properties uh, by interfering uh, with with the PUFA. And, and it's thermogenic. Um, obviously, it's saturated, and so it doesn't have any of the side effects of being able to be converted into a, a Lipofushkin product. Um, and it's definitely uh, definitely a metabolism stimulator. Okay, I think the... Hi, can I um, just try to clarify for that caller? Yeah. That Dr. P really only recommends coconut yeah. oil and not, he does not recommend... Yeah the omega-3 or the omega-6 or any nut and seed oils or nut milks or seed or bean milks is what basically I think you were trying to say, Dr. P. Right. Okay. Uh, All right, so let's let's move on. Um, Say again? I'm really close to it. <laughs> I'll be kissing it in a moment. <laughs> All right, that's it. Turn me up. Okay. Um, I caught you saying a little while ago, Dr. Pete, that um, uh, other reductants like vitamin C could drive uh, lipofushkin production in the presence uh, of um, those N minus 3, N minus 6s. Is, did I hear that correct? Um, yeah, too, too much vitamin C easily activates the any stray uh, atoms you have of aluminum, iron, hmm. uh, uh, zinc, mercury, and so on. Okay. So how does that how does that um, how does that relate to um, orange juice? I mean, and consuming large amounts of orange juice. I mean, obviously, um, following what you're following, then that wouldn't be a problem. But if uh, people are out there drinking lots of orange juice, but they're still eating, um, you know, certain certain products that would contain uh, either of these oils. Wouldn't that vitamin C there be a, a danger? Uh, oh, uh, sure, but uh, there are so many uh, chemicals uh, other than vitamin C. Mm. Uh, the oranges, uh, citrus fruit in general, uh, grape juice, uh, uh, fruits, fruits and vegetables uh, very widely uh, contain uh, the uh, bioflavonoids. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, which are uh, 
basically inside the cell they are oxidants and in the right quantity vitamin C is an oxidant inside the cell mm -hmm. in the healthy non-cancerous cell yeah but I mean you uh, just so the, the function of antioxidation of, of the bioflavonoids and vitamin C comes when you get the right amount in cells which activates oxidative processes uh, 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 absorbing potentially stray electrons that would uh, contribute to lipofuscin. Is there any way that you would say would be a sure way to get these pumped inside the cells then so that you'd have that ability there and then at the cell level? Uh, to use them in moderation. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay. So I just want to kind of get my head around the because um, I've frequently drunk half a gallon of orange juice a day I mean for months and months um, all through the summertime for sure um, especially when I'm working um, so given given that that is a high a pretty a pretty good uh, source of vitamin C I'm obviously not consuming any poofer at the same time because I kind of live on milk and orange juice uh, during the summer months especially but um, you say in moderation uh, to have this, um, you're, you're talking about having this spread out over time, because I do, I, sometimes I get into a, a, a spate where I drink in orange juice, I'll, I'll almost drink a half a gallon in one go sometimes. But um, You're saying just the moderation side of it during the day would be a safe enough way to get it into the cells rather than having any, uh, having any negative effect from it. Uh, yeah, you're getting equally large amounts of the other pro-oxidant bioflavonoids. Right, okay. Uh, uh, and so they are helping to keep the cell oxidizing. Yeah. But if you take, uh, say, five grams of vitamin C, right. uh, then you get this gigantic surge of yeah. reductive energy that throws cells in just the opposite direction, uh, turning on the lipofuscin carcinogenic degenerative process right this is this is why you recommend orange juice and you don't you're not at all really behind vitamin c as a tablet because you also say that the manufacturing process for this is very very spurious mm -hmm. yeah okay um so basically what you're saying dr b is that if you're getting a half a gallon of orange juice you might have quite a lot of vitamin c there but it's also balanced by the bioflavonoids the naringen and and the quercetin and the other antioxidants that are in the orange juice, so it doesn't cause a problem. The vitamin C is balanced and in the right um, ratio with the other nutrients. Yeah. yeah. So would you um, would you condone the use of citrus bioflavonoids because they've been around for a while now, and I've looked at them in the past and I've wondered that what what uh, uh, in the purified form, uh, uh, some of those uh, can be. Uh, reductants the same way an excess of vitamin C can. Right, right. All right, so it's probably more a case of getting um, whole whole plant um, sources rather than purified bioflavonoids. Uh, yeah, I, I think one bioflavonoid probably uh, intensifies and works with the system in the same fruit. Interesting. Okay. So we had a caller that had really bad reception, so he relayed to me, he wanted me to ask you, why do you think that cow milk is okay for humans since we're the only species that drinks another species' milk after being weaned? <laughs> okay, that's a very, so, very Southern Humboldt question, I think. <laughs> I don't know if the person came from Southern Humboldt or not, but uh, Dr. Pete. Uh, what was the first part of the question? Uh, the first part of the question was relating to milk and why is it that um, we're the only species that drink another animal's milk if um if it was so good other animals would be drinking milk and um we're the only ones that do i think that was the thrust of the question wasn't it um to, yeah um I, I, I think it has to do with uh, the size of our brain and our culture that uh, we have evolved on a high fruit diet high carbohydrate diet uh, and in that diet, uh, a very high calcium intake uh, happens to be mm -hmm. uh, sort of synergizing with 
uh, the other factors in the diet to uh, uh, optimize brain function. Okay, so um, can I ask you about vitamin E's protective antioxidant role? Because I know I've read a few articles that were talking about vitamin E offsetting, mitigating some of the effects uh, of these N minus three and sixes and the formation of lipofushkin. Um, but some other some authors seem to suggest that really um, we have to take large amounts of vitamin C to have a, a, a beneficial effect. But what do you, what have, what have you seen um, from any kind of standpoint of scientific experiment? Uh, the definition of uh, vitamin E has changed uh, radically uh, since the first studies in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, it was originally uh, thought of as a fertility uh, extending uh, anti-estrogen uh, chemical. Uh, but then uh, as uh, the uh, toxic effects of uh, unsaturated fats uh, became identified, uh, uh, vitamin E uh, lost its uh, anti-estrogen uh, uh, clot preventing heart preventing uh, uh, mystique and w- was shifted over to nothing but an antioxidant uh, in the 1940s uh, it lost all of its uh, hormonal uh, benefits uh, to the public uh, knowledge uh, and became only an antioxidant uh, but, but that has now changed back, uh, and so it's coming to be recognized again that it, it's an anti-inflammatory uh, estrogen-regulating substance. What, uh, what, what kind of dose would you recommend daily for someone to use as a uh, supplemental form of vitamin E just to get this antioxidant effect? And what is those, uh, because the mixed hook off rules, uh, have been, have been a kind of advertising, uh, uh, <laughs> campaign for some time in terms of listing exactly what took off rules are present and, um. Something like 20 or 30 milligrams. Uh, 20 to 30 only, okay. Interesting. Alright. And how many, sorry, Dr. B. 20 to 30 milligrams, how does that compare to the international units? Oh, now it's used instead of international units. So but what would be the comparison? Would it be like 100 IU or? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the language has simply changed uh, so that uh, you, you can talk about the different uh, uh, forms uh, in terms of milligrams, uh, and uh, it's recognized that they have their uh, value as vitamin E, uh, regardless of uh, their antioxidant properties. Okay, but the, what would be the 20 to 30 milligrams a day is what you would say would be an, a good uh, supplement dose of vitamin E. How would that relate if someone has a product that is an international unit? Has, has a what? You know, some of these vitamin E products are in international units, like they'll say 200 IU or 400 IU. So how would the 20, what's the equivalent? Well, sometimes they're still talking in terms of the antioxidant value or, or the oh. uh, D-alpha tocopherol concentration right. uh, for uh, about 20 years, uh, you could only uh, re- refer to D-alpha tocopherol uh, as vitamin E potency. And not the gamma and the delta and the other mixed tocopherols. Yeah, they, they had to be overlooked, but right. now that effect is disappearing. Okay, so when you state 20 to 30 milligrams, you're sa- stating 20 to 30 milligrams of a mixed tocopherol. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, I know you said in the past. Oh, look out! Is there? I wanted, I wanted to give a, a, a brief public service announcement here, please. There's a, a caller was quite upset that there's a couple of goats in the middle of the road by the airport. She said they're in the middle of the road and it's getting dark, and she just wanted to, anybody if there's they belong to anybody, that's where they are. They're by the airport on Sprawl Creek Road. Two black and white goats. There you go. Thank you so much. Thank you.
All right. Um, very, very lastly, Dr. P, I do appreciate you uh, soldiering on through this. I can tell that your voice is uh, giving out. But um, just we'll say one last thing about estrogen, and we'll wrap up the wrap up the show for the evening. Um, in terms of, uh, you've always talked about estrogen being inflammatory. Uh, we've had plenty of discussion about why estrogen is bad for you, uh, and how its counterpart, progesterone, is the anti-inflammatory uh, molecule, especially for women. Um, but estrogen's uh, inflammatory nature in terms of its effect on the N minus three and sixes and Lipofushkin's formation is equivocal it's equivocal, correct? It's uh, in terms of the destructive effects of um, of estrogen. Um, yes. <coughs> so so you can uh, uh, treat all of these things as synergizing uh, either beneficial factors or harmful factors. Uh uh, the uh, amount of PUFA, uh, the amount of ionizing radiation, uh, the exposure to heavy metals, uh, and uh, each of the components uh, is at least additive to the others. Uh, and uh, so if you uh, do something to oppose any one of those, uh, reducing inflammation, you're going to reduce uh, estrogen exposure, uh, uh, rate of aging, and so on. Uh, uh, tissue fibrosis and inflammation, uh, degeneration, uh, aging and cancer, uh, uh, all of these uh, uh, can be alleviated by uh, 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 simple, uh, natural anti-inflammatory things, including carbon dioxide, uh, 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 progesterone, uh, thyroid function and so on okay well thank you very much let's hold it hold it there dr p i'll give out your information and thanks so much for joining us okay thank you okay so dr thank p you, dr p dr p can be found online at www.raypeat.com uh, and we can be found online uh westernbotanicalmedicine.com uh i think what i wanted to bring out from the show was uh, that the whole the whole concept of these polyunsaturated fatty acids from many different sources of which some are touted as being health beneficial and uh, good for us or they call them cholesterol lowering or uh, blood pressure lowering uh, many many cases this is completely erroneous and not just that but that there is actually something that we can do to mitigate the um the absorption and the permanence of these things. I, I wasn't even aware that some of these, this lipofushkin can be soluble. Uh, I thought it just formed into these complexes fairly rapidly under the uh, presence of iron, uh, cations or aluminum or zinc or other cations with the heat that we have in our body, uh, that they rapidly get um, converted into fairly insoluble products. But that's not the case. So definitely a good cause uh, for those people listening out there from a herb perspective. And it's something that they've always done in Europe for a long time. Uh, digestive bitters, uh, hepatic stimulants, uh, laxatives, all of these things uh, will certainly be uh, beneficial and actually be very a very good mitigating strategy, especially for people who've just found this information out and want to start switching their fat sources to saturated. Uh, the people that still think that fish oil is good for you, uh, having listened to this show, I don't know how you can. Uh, it's not true, and it's definitely a lie, and it's an industry uh, fighting uh, to maintain a huge hold on a multi-billion dollar industry. So, yeah, there's things that can be done, and stimulants, uh, hepatic stimulants and bitters and aperitifs and all of these things that will improve your liver function and clearance of waste, as well as your bowel function and uh, preventing constipation will definitely have a bearing on you not absorbing these things uh, by the same degree, and so therefore it can only be beneficial. Um, anyway, so until the third Friday of next month, uh, hopefully Dr. Pete's voice is uh, better and the wildfires have uh, calmed down. I'm not too sure how that works because they do tend to burn on for the whole summer, but uh, without being negative on that, uh, I wish all of you a very good summer. And um, until the third Friday of next month, uh, my name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Thank you very much for listening and joining the show. Thank you.
say just one more time, we want to remind folks that there are two goats right near the, Spra- the airport on Sproul Creek Road, black and white, black and white, and uh, they're in the middle of the road. So if those are your goats, that's where they are. Check them out. Make sure your goats are where they're supposed to be.